Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff, and we're glad to have you here tonight, and I have Eli Contreras on the phone, and most people call him Brother Eli. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. And my wife, Julie, is in the background, and she'll be praying and maybe asking some questions. How are you, Julie? Wonderful. Thank you. And so earlier when I was praying and saying, okay, Lord, how do I introduce him? All I heard is to say, he has been set free. Mm. And so, Eli, why don't you tell us your testimony and how you have been set free? Absolutely. Uh, what is the, what's the time frame? You know, you'll know when God says it's over. Okay. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So uh, thank you. for. Uh, my name is Brother Eli Contreras. I'm from the Bay Area here in California. And, you know, my uh, early life started, you know, when I was, you know, I grew up in a house with a dysfunctional home. You know, my father was an alcoholic. My mother used to drink. You know, it was common to see them fist fighting, you know, uh, breaking furniture. Um, you know, my father was a child molester. And I remember being about three years old and going to the river. And my dad carried me into a bush. And uh, when he carried me into the bush, he began to, to take off his clothes and he began to do things to me that, that uh, sexually that I didn't understand. And, and I remember when he was done, he put his clothes back on. He put me back on his shoulders and carried me out of that bush. And he just placed me on the sand and he walked away. And I remember at a, at a, as a early, uh, in, a, in my early um, childhood that I didn't understand a lot about brokenness or my dad, that his, his, uh, the way he was living his life. And, but I knew that uh, more than anything, I wanted my father to love me. My, I, as a young boy, I wanted my father to hold me. I wanted him to embrace me. I wanted to make him proud of me. And I remember that my dad used to beat me and he would ignore me. And, and I learned at a very early age that I can, if I, uh, you know, did a committed a sexual act with my father, then he would recognize me. And so that kind of sort of became my relationship with my father. As a little boy, three, four, and five, I was attracted sexually to my father. I didn't know it was called homosexuality. I wanted more than anything to, to just have my father's approval. And if committing a sexual act with him is what I had to do, I was willing to do it. And I remember at a certain age, you know, my father stopped touching me, and he, we, that relationship just ended, and, and I was completely invisible to my dad. And I remember being about eight years old, and, and I remember being attacked by a pit bull, and, and I was thinking in my mind while this dog was attacking me that if I could only get into my father's arms, I'll be safe. And I remember as I was able to get away from the dog that, that I ran into my dad's arms, and he saw that I had been attacked, and he put me in the kitchen sink, and he tore off my pant legs, and he pulled out a kitchen knife, and he began to try to cut off my legs, telling me that he was, had to get the poison out of my body. And it took my mother to physically to wrestle uh, me out of my father's arms, and and, you know, and, I, and that was my childhood. That was the, that was the relationship. That was my, my growing up. That was happening inside my home. And, and I remember being a young kid, maybe four or five years old, and, and I remember uh, sexually abusing the neighbor kid, the kid that lived next door. And I taught him how to, to abuse the kid that lived next door to him. And it just became this thing, babies molesting babies with no understanding. And, 
And I remember, you know, growing up and I was 13 years old and I ran into a kid that lived down the street and very similar, uh, you know, we were both very broken. And, and I remember we ended up, you know, using drugs, cocaine and, and methamphetamine at 14 and 15 years old. And even at 15 years old, going to, to San Francisco on the weekends and hanging out with homosexual prostitutes, transvestite prostitutes, and, and, you know, then going to school, trying to be normal and, and uh, trying to understand why, why I was so different. And I remember at 15 years old, hanging out in the, uh, in the San Francisco in the streets that I wasn't willing to admit to myself or anybody else that I was a homosexual. So I, I, I wore a disguise. I gave myself a mohawk and I started wearing all black and I stuck safety pins all over my face and my throat. And, and when I went to school, I went to a school uh, in, in this, in here in the Bay Area. It was a small town that I lived in called Brentwood. And I remember going to school and there was jocks and there was cowboys and I looked very different from all the other kids in school. And I remember getting beat up, spit on, uh, picked on. People would uh, throw garbage at me, call me names, TV because I looked so different. I had a mohawk and I was wearing makeup and the clothes that I was wearing, you know, I was just an outcast. And I remember thinking to myself, it was better to, to be treated like this than because I looked weird than for people to, to treat me like this because I was a homosexual. And so I was wearing a disguise and I remember when I was 16 years old, I was, you know, I was so angry. I was so angry, and I questioned God. I always knew that there was a God. I never, I didn't have no church background, and I remember thinking, knowing that there was a creator. Somebody created myself and, and the world I live in, and I thought to myself, God, I don't understand that why you would create me so that I can suffer like this, and I remember even as a little kid, you know, in the chaos of the sexual abuse and the violence and and, you know, the chaos was one of my house. There was a picture of Jesus that was by the door. And, and I thought to myself, you know, who are you? Because you never did anything for me. You never helped me. You never stopped. You never, you, you just, you're just this picture. I don't know who you are. And I don't like you. I was very confused. And, and I remember the devil was there. And he was telling me that Jesus didn't love me. God didn't love me. My father didn't love me. And so I remember at 16 years old, I gave my soul to the devil. I opened up the satanic Bible and I let him have my soul. That same year, I, my brother was murdered. He was shot four times in the face and left in a field to decompose. And, and I remember sitting in the living room uh, that night when the detectives came to tell us that my brother had been murdered. And I watched my mom hit the ground and she, and she hit the floor and she just lost her mind. And I remember my heart being so hard and being so, you know, so dark. And, and uh, I remember thinking to myself, my brother was a very violent person. And every time I see him, we were in the same room, he was, it was an automatic beating. My brother used to beat me. And I thought to myself, when the detectives told us that he was dead, I, the first thing that came to my mind is, I never have, have to take that beating again. I hated my brother. And I told my mother when, when uh, the detectives told us that he was dead, I said, I hope he went straight to hell. I hate him. I had so much hatred in my heart. I was so broken. My heart was so hardened. I, had, I couldn't even sympathize that my mom's heart was broken because her son had been murdered. And I was living in so much confusion and so much darkness. And, and I thought God didn't care. And, and so I believed the lies of the devil. And... And so I took Satan's hand and I started living this life. And, and I remember at 19 years old, I tried committing suicide for the first time. And, and, you know, when I got, I went to a mental institute. When I got out of the mental institute, I walked to the doors to leave the building. And there was the pain, there was the hurt, there was the brokenness, there was the torment sitting right there waiting for me. The only thing that had been different was that I hadn't been on, I haven't been on drugs the whole time that I was in that, uh, the institute. And, and I thought to myself, you know, I really need to get high. I started using drugs because it was a way to numb the pain. And, and I remember, you know, I had friends and I had acquaintances that were involved in organized crime at 19 years old. And they were selling drugs in different countries. And they were making lots and lots and lots of money. And, and I remember with that kind of influence in my life, I was able to build my own drug kingdom. 
And so by having the drugs and the money and, and, and everything that I needed, I was able to, to feed my drug addiction. And I remember that the, uh, the addiction got so bad that I was shooting drugs, I was smoking, you know, methamphetamines, I was eating it, I was drinking it, I was putting it in my body as much as I could because the pain was so much that I just, I wanted to be numb and I wanted to die. And I remember that, uh, you know, I had so much money and I had so much drugs at one point in my life, you know, 19, 20 years old. And, and you know, I had everything a man could want and more. And I remember I had women that, that were, I could make them prostitute. And I remember that the, if the man, if I was uh, attracted to him, I can give him everything he can never give himself, but at a price. And if he wasn't willing to pay the price, then I would just take it from him. And I wanted to be loved so bad. I wanted somebody to embrace me. I wanted somebody to hold me. I mean, on the outside, I was living this life, but on the inside, I was a tiny little boy that got carried into a bush and, and wanted to be loved. And I was afraid and I was scared and, and I didn't know how to live this life. And, and so I was, you know, involved in this drug, this drug ring. And, and, and I remember the, the chaos and, and the people were being murdered and, and people were losing their minds and they had a prison, all these different things. And it began to take a toll on me living this life, selling drugs and being drug addicted that I started to hear voices and I started to, so I started talking to myself. And so at this point I started to lose my mind or I started thinking bugs were eating me from the inside, you know, and I would sit on the side of the road and I would think, how can I cut my body open to get these bugs? I could feel them living inside me. I could feel them moving inside me. And I remember talking to myself and, and I remember pulling out my teeth with my fingers. And a lot of times because I was homeless, you know, the drug dealers, they didn't want, or I was in the condition I was in. A lot of times the drug dealers, even though I was making, lots of money for them. They didn't want to sell drugs to me. They didn't want me to sell drugs for them because I was, I was mutilating myself. I was talking to myself. I was living a life that they didn't understand. And, and they didn't want to be the reason why I was killing myself. And so it was harder and harder for me to, to get drugs. And so I would walk up and down Highway 4 and I would walk from county to county. I was like a vagabond. I had no, nowhere to go, nowhere to, I had just walking, walking, trying to feed this addiction, trying to feed these demons living inside me. And I even remember when I was uh, in my teenage years that, um, that the demons wanted me to, to kill my parents. And it was something that played over and over in my mind that I needed to kill my parents, that somebody needed to pay for the, the, for the things that are happening to me and for what had happened to me. And, and I remember telling my mother that, that the devil wanted me to kill her and my father. And so they wouldn't let me sleep in the house. I had to sleep outside as a teenager in a shed that we had. And I remember at night I would, I would uh, you know, I break into the windows black and I boarded them up and, I remember I took the, the door handle off the door and I put a hole in the wall around the beam and I would put a chain uh, around the door hole in the beam to chain myself in and I would nail the door closed with a hammer nails. And, and I remember at night, you know, I, I would hit the door would vibrate and I would hear somebody scratching the roof and, and I was just tormented by these demons. And, and no matter what I did to try to escape or to try to, to protect myself, it was, it was impossible. And one day the demon says, he says, you can do anything that you, that you want to do to, to try to, avoid it, but it's impossible because we live inside you. And so this was, this was uh, the way I was living my, my life. I was possessed and I was demonized and, and I was living on the streets. And a lot of times I, was, I would have feces on myself and I would have urine on myself because I was homeless and I didn't have nowhere to, to go. I didn't have nowhere to change. And, and I was so, you know, uh, out of my mind, just sitting on the side of the road, trying to kick my body open because uh, the buzz. And, and I remember um, I never took off my shoes or my socks and, my toenails, they, they grew and they grew and they were living, I mean, they were, they had grown so much that they were curved in my feet, in my shoe, and they were living inside, my toenails were living inside my feet, they were stabbing, cutting into my feet, and, and I remember that the, I never took off my socks, and the, uh, the dust and, and the sweat be, became like a glue, 
and it became to, it started to rip off my skin every time I would step. And so I would walk decrepit. I couldn't walk straight. My bones hurt. My body hurt. You know, so I, my feet were decrepit. And so I, I, was, I was walking like a decrepit man, and, and I was pick, trying to pick my body open, and I was talking to myself, and I was screaming, and I was cussing at God, and I was saying, even asking God, God, I don't want you to save me. I don't want you to help me. Just uh, have mercy and kill me and put me out of my misery. I don't want to be in this torment. I don't want to live like this. Have mercy on me, God. Kill me. And I remember the next day waking up in the pouring rain, soaking wet in this condition, tormented and felt, feeling all alone and abandoned and defeated because I didn't know how to convince God to love me. And, and the devil was right there the whole time saying, nobody loves you. You should kill yourself. And I tried many times to kill myself. I tried to put a gun in my mouth. I tried to throw myself over freeway, over, um, overpass. I, I overdosed on drugs on purpose and on accident overdoses. And, and I remember people were trying to kill me. I had my face smashed in. I had my head busted over with hammers and laying on the side of the road bleeding to death. And, and I remember one night even almost freezing to death. And I couldn't understand why God didn't just let me die if he hated me so much. And so a lot of times I would, when I would go to sleep or lay down on the side of the road, I would beg God, Please, God, please don't let me wake up to see you another day. God, I can't, I can't deal with this, this torment. God, I can't deal with this pain. And even though I didn't like God, even though I, I had this hatred in, in my heart for God, I knew that God was a creator, and, and I just I didn't know how to convince God to love me. And so I would beg, beg him to, to kill me. And I remember when, when I would continue to wake up, I was convinced that God was, was pleased with my torment. And I would, and I would beg Satan, Satan, if you have the power to take my life, I will spend eternity in hell with you. Just take me out of this hell that I'm living in. I can't handle it. I can't take it. The pain is too unbearable. I don't want to be out here in these streets. I felt all alone, and, and I just wanted to die. I wanted the pain to stop. I wanted the hurt to stop. I just wanted somebody to hold me. I wanted somebody to embrace me. I wanted somebody to love me. I wanted to know that I could be lovable. That is it possible for somebody to love me, God? Is it possible for somebody to, to embrace me? I, I, I feel like an animal out here in the streets with nothing and with nobody, and I want to die, and my life keeps continuing. I was living in misery, and I remember I lived in the streets my whole 20s, and I remember going into my 30s, and I remember as I was walking down the street, I was 32 years old. I remember that uh, I was walking towards the freeway, and the demon was, was there, and, and I, I used to speak to the demons all the time, and, and, and I knew their voice. I, I knew what they were saying. And sometimes it was a battle. Sometimes it was an argument. And sometimes I would just agree with them. And I remember this particular day that I was walking down the street, the devil said, the demon said, why don't you throw yourself in front of that diesel? If you throw yourself in front of that diesel, it, the, the pain, it'll hurt for a second, but then the pain will be over. You can rest. And I remember thinking to myself, that was the key word. I need to rest. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And so I started walking towards the freeway and as I was walking towards the freeway, I saw a car drive past me, and, and put, I saw the brake lights turn on. And, and I was so used to people when they put their brake lights on and they turned around, they were going to try to run me over, throw stuff at me, call me names, tease me. And so I was just like, this car that I saw the, the lights turn on, the brake lights, and it started to turn around with the U-turn. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't have to say anything to me. I already know. I already know what you're going to say. And, and this car continued to come to me, and it was this lady, and it was her 8-year-old daughter was in the passenger seat. And she stopped. She pulled over right next to me. She said, sir, I just wanted to tell you that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. And when she said that to me, I was very confused because the life that I had been living, there was no signs of God loving me. It was just torment and abuse and brokenness. And, and, and I looked at her, I confused, and I said, God doesn't love me. I'd rather be on fire. And she says, no, everywhere I go, I see you. When I go, when I go left, I see you. When I go right, I see you. When I take my kids to school, when I go to the grocery store, everywhere I go, I see you. I told my husband, 
I think the Lord wants me to pray for this man because everywhere I go, God puts him in front of me. She said, and my husband told me that if I ever stopped to talk to you to make sure that he was with her because I looked crazy and that I might try to attack her. She says, but as I drove by you this morning right now, the Lord spoke to me and said, if I didn't stop to talk to you today, tomorrow would be too late. And when she said that to me, it's not, I said, how did this lady know I was getting ready to walk in front of a diesel, that this would be her last opportunity? And I realized at that very point, that very moment, that of all people to acknowledge me, it was God himself, because this lady didn't know nothing about me. And she began to say things to me that only God would know. I believed in God. I knew God existed. I just didn't think he loved me. And so when this woman started saying things to me, it really blew me away. And that's the day that I realized that God does hear me. He does see me. You know, and she drove away. And she gave me the message, and she drove away. And, and for the next year, I continued living on the streets, using drugs, trying to survive. And, and I remember March 27, 2005, I was walking down the street. And I came to this intersection, and, and I just and I remember hearing God say, turn away. And when he said turn away, he showed me four pictures. He showed me a picture that I was going to be in my right mind. He showed me a picture that I was going to be wearing all white. He showed me a picture that I was going to be reunited with my family. He showed me a picture that I was on my knees worshiping Jesus Christ. After he showed me the four pictures, he said, turn away the second time. And I knew exactly what God was saying, that everything that I was, everything that I was doing, turn away, walk a different direction. Everything that I was, turn away, go into a different direction. And I remember just I, when, I, when he says turn away the second time, something began to happen in, in deep, deep, deep down the side of me. And I began to cry. I began to scream right there on the side of the freeway. I started running up down the street. I really didn't know what to do. And I remember thinking about that lady that had prayed for me a year before. I knew where she lived because her and her husband would take me to their house and feed me and they would pray for me. And so I remember going to her house, banging on her door, and, and she told me that her husband had just left the church 20 minutes ago, but the Lord told her to, to take the other car because uh, for, her, for some reason, she says, if I would have went with my husband and not listened to the Lord, I would have missed you. And so she put me in the car and we went to church. And she went to a church about 20 minutes away and we were on the freeway. And as we were on the freeway uh, going to church, it was a Spanish church. I don't speak Spanish. I didn't speak Spanish, and, uh, but we were on our way to a Spanish church. And the, uh, the enemy came in and he, and he began to say to me, he says, you know, any minute you're going to stand before God. And when you stand before God, he's going to see all the filth, all the perversion, everything you get in darkness, God is going to see. You're going to be completely exposed, naked, standing before God. And I started to reflect on my life and who I was, and a blanket of shame fell on top of me. And I said, I don't want nobody to see this, not even God. The demon said, open the door, jump out, kill yourself, save yourself from God. And I remember thinking, and I remember putting my hand on a car door, thinking, I don't want God to see this. I don't want nobody to see this. I'm so ashamed of myself. And so I, I put my hand on the car door, and I blacked out, passed out. The next thing I remember is we're sitting in the church parking lot, and the sister's opening my door. She says, we're here. So we walk into the church. And as we were walking into the church, my mother was sitting there. And I hadn't seen my mother in a long, a long time because I lost contact with her. And um, But... I sat down next to her and I was, I couldn't control myself. I was broken and I was crying and I couldn't control. I couldn't stop myself from crying. And, and I felt like, you know, God was, the, the Holy Spirit was drawing me in. I didn't know, I didn't know that the Holy Spirit existed. I didn't know the difference between God and Jesus. I had no church history or um, knowledge. I never went to church. And so this is the first time I'm really coming to church and it's completely God wronged me because I wanted to die. And I remember walking into that church and I'm crying and, and nobody had to, to tell me that they're having an altar call. I went to that altar, and, and I remember I was on my knees, and I was crying, and I was crying out to God, and I was asking God, God, please, God, God, please forgive me, God. Please, God, forgive me, God. God, I don't want to live like this anymore, God. I don't want to live like this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God, please, God, help me. And I remember sitting at that altar, and I remember people begin to, 
people begin to, to lay hands on me and they begin to pray in, in a language I didn't understand. And for one very second, I remember sitting there at my, on my knees repenting and I felt the arms of Christ wrap around me. And for the first time in my life, 32 years of life was the first time I ever felt somebody love me. And I remember after I felt him love me, the, the, or after he wrapped his arms around me and he began to pour his love into me, I stood up. And when I stood up, 18 years of drug addiction was gone. Oh, every voice that tormented me for years was gone. It was silent. And I remember that God gave me the ability to walk away from a homosexual lifestyle. That day that I walked into a church, March 27, 2005, I was demon-possessed. I was a drug addict. I was a drug dealer. I was a homosexual. I hated God. I was all these things. I worshiped the devil, all these things. And, and I went to the altar, and I had an encounter with Christ. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. And I'm telling you, when, when, when God touched me in such a way, I, he, I encountered Jesus Christ in such a way that I walked out of that, that church a brand new man, in such a way that I didn't even know who I was. I didn't know what it was to live a life without putting a needle in my neck. I didn't know what it was to, to live a life where I don't have to chase men that didn't love me. And it was this whole new life that I was living in. And I told God, God, I said, I... I don't even know how to love you, God. I don't know how to love myself. I said, teach me, God. Teach me what it means to be loved. Teach me what it means to love you. And, and it's just been a journey of 12 years where God has just been, been building a relationship with me. And, and I remember that uh, even after I got saved, I started walking from town to town, and I started getting on the bus. And any church that I saw uh, cars, I would get in, and I would share my testimony. I wanted to tell everybody about this encounter that I had with God and what he delivered me from and what Jesus saved me from and the person that I was. And, and I remember even in my early walk, the first year, the Lord showed me, he put my father in my heart because my father had left years ago when I was 19 years old. Our house got shot up, and my father moved out of state, and that was the last time I seen him. And we never had a good relationship. He never loved me. He never wanted me. And, and so I remember the Lord put my father in my heart, and he says, write your father a letter. And so I wrote my dad a letter telling him that I found Jesus. I stopped using drugs, and, and I'm a different person. I'm a different man than the, the, the person that he knew me. And my father wrote me a letter back, and he says, I don't care. I don't want nothing to do with you. And when I wrote, read, read that letter, it hurt me because I started to choke at the words that he said, I don't care. I don't want nothing to do with you. You know, I felt like somebody punched me in my stomach, and I, felt, and I couldn't breathe. I started choking, and I started crying. And I said, Lord, I said, I don't have the ability to make this man love me. I tried my whole life to get him to love me. He, uh, he don't love me. He don't want me. And I said, but you know, Lord, I said, he can't stop me from loving him. And so I, that day when, uh, when, when I got that letter, the Lord gave me a vision that me and my father were standing at the altar and that he was going to save my father. And seven years later, after praying and crying out and thanking God, and I remember uh, I, I had a person that lived in the town that was in the church that lived in the same town with my dad. He, I gave him the address, and I said, just go tell them, tell them the gospel. Don't tell them that you know me or anything. And so he went and he shared the gospel with my father. And and my father said, uh, he, he stopped him after 40 minutes. They were reading the book of John and this first meeting that he had with my father. And, and my father repented and he gave his life to the Lord. And, and the brother called me the next day. He says, I found your father. He goes, I was reading the book of John to him. And he says, after 40, 45 minutes of us uh, talking to each other and, and reading the Bible, your dad stopped us and he repented and he gave his life to the Lord. And I remember that I hit the floor crying and I began to thank God because I was like, Lord, where, where will he go, Lord, if he takes his last breath? and he don't know you. And so I had already had a ticket to go visit my dad. I thought I was going to share the gospel with my father, but the Lord had a different plan. And so when I went to, to visit my father, 
he had already received Christ. And when, I, when he seen me for the first time after all these years, he didn't recognize me because the last time you saw me, I was a drug addict and I was a punk rocker and I was a devil worshiper. And the next time you saw me, I was, you know, 40, uh, 40 years old. So it had been some time, like 20 years since he seen me. And now I'm this man of God and I love God with all my heart. And he didn't recognize me. He didn't recognize me as his son. And I kept telling him, I said, Dad, are you sure you don't know me? You don't remember me because I don't know who you are. And so after about 15 minutes, the Lord reminded him that I was his son from California. And when he, when he realized who I was, he threw his arms around me and, and, his, and, he, and he called me son. He, he kissed me on my side of my neck and, he, and he, he whispered son and he wrapped his arms around me. And I began to cry because that's all I ever wanted was for my father to hold me and to, to, to call me son. That's all I ever wanted. And the Lord showed me a vision as my father held me for a very few seconds that he, he took me back to one of the child and he says, remember when you were a little boy and your father was hurting you? He says, and he says, he says, Lord, I don't want God, I don't want this man to hurt me. I just want him to love me. God says, I was standing right there with you. I was with you the whole time. He says, and I'm giving you your father. And my dad became a Christian. And, and, and one day, me and my father will walk the streets world and we'll worship God together. You know, God has done so many amazing things in my life since I came to the Lord and since I surrendered and my sisters got saved, my mother saved, and, you know, we go to church and, and cousins are getting saved. And men that I used to sleep with have come to church and, and people that I got, I used to get high with and sell drugs to, they come to church. And, and men that I used to sleep with, all these different people, gangs that, that I used to sell drugs to, they're, they're coming to church and they're seeing the transformation that God has done in my life. And, and so it's just been one amazing journey the last 12 years. You know, God gave me the, the opportunity to write a book. It's called, and then I heard his voice. And, and it's just a testimony of, of what God has done in my life. And I was on the 700 Club. My, my story has been heard in 32 nations across the world. And, and to this day, uh, what I do is I, I go to different countries and I go across America and, and I hit these streets where I live and, and I preach the gospel and I, I just go out and I feed the hungry and I give people clothes. And, and I'm just, I want to love people and I want them to know about Jesus Christ that he has the power to change your life. And so that's pretty much my testimony. I was waiting for him. Um, wow. Uh, when you go and you're in these neighborhoods and you're testifying, are people coming forth and responding to you by telling them that they've basically uh, needed to hear your testimony as well, gone through the same type of things, I, 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 I've, um, men that have been married for um, 25 years have come to me after hearing my testimony, and they said, I've been married 25 years, I have five children, and I can't stop cheating on my, my wife with young boys, and, and I hear people constantly telling me, you were, you were telling my story, you, you were, you were, I was looking at a mirror as you were sharing, I just, I can't, I don't have the courage to, to, to share that with anybody. You know, I, I, when I go to the street and, and when I tell, you know, when I speak to drug addicts and when I go into a homeless camp and I share my testimony, people will come up to me crying because they say that they have been abused. They say that they've been abandoned. And, and, and they, so much of my testimony was a life that they lived and, and they, have, they haven't been able to, to master the, uh, their, you know, they haven't been able to, to, to to come out of that lifestyle, it's too hard, it's too painful, but they don't want to remember. And, and so it's just it's an opportunity, you know, everywhere I go, I, people tell me, you're telling my story, you're telling my story, they come to me in tears, broken, with an open wound, you just opened a wound in my life, and, and, and they want to be loved, and they're out there on drugs, and they're, 
in and out of prison and they're married and, and they're cheating on their wife and their wife is sitting at home, been praying for 25 years to deliver their husband because they don't want to, the, the home to be broken. And, and so it's just everywhere I go and every time I pull my testimony, it has impacted people because it's, it's, it's the things that I talk about are happening to people everywhere. You know, I'm not, it's, not, it's not just me, but it's, it's so many people have been abused and so many people have been rejected and so many people have been abandoned and, and they're living these lives and, and, and they can completely relate to, to what I'm saying. And, and they tell me that I've never heard anybody be that open and honest about what they've experienced. And, and I said, well, I can't be ashamed of what Jesus has done to me. And if he did it for you, he can do it for you. And so yeah, everywhere That's I right. go and I send my testimony, people can relate to it and they respond. They respond to it. You know, one of the, the sad things that when we talked the other night, you were saying is a lot of these churches, they they won't even let you come in and share your testimony because they're, they don't want to hear it all. And the, they don't and want to hear it. The truth is the only way their congregation is going to get set free is for it to be exposed. Right. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, I, so they I get need told, to hear it. Absolutely. I think so. You know, I'm more uh, the churches, I've been told more, uh, no more than I have yet. And, um, and one of the reasons why is because, um, is because you know, one, one church told me that uh, we don't really want to expose our congregation to that kind of darkness. And I'm like, your, your church is already living in this kind of darkness. You know, it, I mean, it, it's a, you know, people are, are trapped, even in church. They don't know, and that's what many people have told me. They said, you know, brother, when you stood up there and you started talking about demon possession and drug addiction and, and homosexuality, I've never heard that preached from the pulpit. And, and, and this is the first time that, that I feel like I can expose the things that I'm, I'm struggling with because if you could stand up there and, and openly say all these things, I feel comfortable with saying, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with these things, and I don't know who to talk to. Yeah. The other night you told me, too, about uh, how you have gone on several mission trips to the Philippines. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I've I've been going to – I've been been able to – I've been blessed to go to the Philippines um, in Manila and, um, you know, uh, Smoky Mountain and the – the, um, the slums of, of the Philippines, and and I've been able to go to um, to Waters, Mexico, where you know in the um, you know where there's a lot of drug cartel and a lot of drug killings, and I've been able to go out there and build relationships with a church out there, and and I go there once a year, and I've been able to go to the Philippines twice, and so uh, so yeah, I've been blessed to be able to go to these areas and share the, the gospel and, and share the testimony. They're so open, they're so receptive to it. Yeah. Also, you know, you were talking about over there how the the a lot of the kids are raped and and the sex trafficking and everything yeah. else. That uh, yeah. what a blessing it is for the Philippines to have somebody come in that has gone through a lot of this and and be able to help open and expose it. Right. You know, in the Philippines, because of the poverty, you know, um, they, there's so much poverty and the culture is so different that. Uh, that um, they believe, you know, sometimes they believe that, you know, um, by being able to prostitute the children, um, you know, the little boys and the little girls, they prostitute them. And the children, they actually think that they're doing their family a favor by being able to put food on the table. You know, um, the, the, um, 
when I was there, there was some young uh, boys that were, uh, as I was walking into one of the churches to preach, some of the young boys uh, from outside were saying, to, um, saying things to me. I didn't understand what they were saying, and one of the pastors was telling me that, oh, they're trying to tell you that they will speak with you for money. And these are young boys, and, and uh, one of the things um, the pastor said was that he says that um, he does two things. He says draw people to, to the Philippines. He says because the islands are very beautiful, and he says and, and, and they know that they can come here and speak with children. And so that's one of the things that draw foreigners to the Philippines is to go and speak with the young children there. Yeah, that's that's very sad. Yeah. And even in um, even one of the, the big things that I saw different in the church, like in Mexico, when I went to to um, to, um, to the church in, in uh, Juarez, Mexico, when I shared my testimony, um, you know, they canceled all the children's classes, and they uh, they wanted even the youngest children to be in the congregation to hear the testimony because they wanted to address the sexual abuse issue. And you know, and that was very that was very strange to me because I'm so used to. Here in the United States, they say, you know, brother, if you're going to pre- if you're going to say these things, please don't say anything that will hurt the ch- or that will scare the children, and don't be careful what you say because we don't want the congregation to to be offended. And I thought that that was a really, uh, you know, so when the, the church in Juarez, when they it was a reverse, they wanted to address the the issue, they wanted to um, to to help the the children if they are being abused, we want them to we want to expose it. You know, so that was a huge thing that I thought, wow, I said, because so much of the church in America will reject me, we're here in New Mexico, they were, they were, they wanted to address it, and they wanted the children to hear it, so they can say, you know what, what he was talking about, I, I'm going through that, and so it was a huge difference for me, to, to, between the two countries. So, tell us more about what you are doing now. Uh, I know that you were saying that you have been, you know, traveling and, and going and, and doing stuff with homeless uh, camps and things like that. Yeah, so so what I do is I'm, a, uh, I'm one of the, the church I go to is called Praise Chapel. It's Praise Chapel International, but here in the Bay Area, we have a church in Pittsburgh, and we're, this Sunday, we're actually starting a, a service in Antioch. And, and so I'm the outreach leader, so what we do is we go out to, to the parks and to the um, to the neighborhoods and and we uh, we feed people we clothe people we pray for people we invite people into the church and and the the whole goal is is to just go out there and to reach people you know we've had a huge um, suicide rate here in one of the towns in, uh, right here in local areas and and what we do is we'll you know stand on the side of the with signs you know saying Jesus loves you and and we'll try to address the the the, uh, the suicide issue and and right now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get into the schools. Because there's so many, I keep hearing these stories about all these children, these young people being, uh, you know, abused at school and teased and, and, uh, and they're committing suicide. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm wanting to get into the schools so that if we can reach them, you know, if we can get into the school and bring this message of love and this message of Jesus Christ, they won't feel so abandoned. They won't feel, they won't feel so alone. Maybe they will say, hey, I was just thinking about killing myself. And, and so the, the, right now what we're trying to do is we're trying to, to get into the school, and if we can't get into the school, uh, we're going to actually stand across the street and just hand up tracks to people, let, them, let people know that Jesus loves them and that there's a way out, and, and hopefully build relationships with the people, the kids, and, and that's just a, a one thing that we're doing to try to, to address the suicide issue, because there's so many kids out here killing themselves. Um, you know, we're just, we're trying to figure out any way 
that we can reach the, the community. You know, um, we go on the side of the streets and we, we hold up signs and we, you know, we pass out tracks you know, at, at the bar station where people are getting home from work. We stand at the train stations and we just we, we try to build conversations. So we're, constant, we're a church that's constantly trying to reach the, uh, the community for Jesus. And so it's just a constant work. If I'm not in another country, you know, uh, preaching the gospel, sharing the testimony, loving people, you know, I'm, I'm in one of the different states here in the United States or, you know, and when I'm not traveling, I, I you know, I just continue to, to do the same thing that I do everywhere else. I hit the streets and, and I just remind people that, that the love, that God has a purpose and a plan for their lives and you know, try to, to build relationships with people and, and teach the gospel to people. Yeah, the 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 teenage suicide rate seems to be up all over the whole United States. So yeah. Um, yeah. we need more people that, that are willing to really share their testimony and come out like you and, and, you know, uh, talk to these kids. Right. What is the, um, what are the other things I'm going to, I'm also on a board. It's called Shiloh house of restoration. And it's, it's, um, it's a ministry. It's, we're just in the beginning stages of this ministry, but it's, to help women come out of the sex trafficking and prostitution. And, you know, so we're just, I'm asking God, God, you know, um, I want to be a good steward of not just my money, but my time, you know, God, God, I want to be effective and I want to be able to impact and, you know, what can we do? And, you know, so most of the day just consists of how we can do, you know, uh, how we can reach more people for, for, for Christ and, you know, and, and teach the gospel to people. And, and so whether it's, you know, trying to reach prostitutes and people that, you know, are in sex traffic, not just prostitutes and, and the people that are being kidnapped, but we also want to reach the pimps because they're just as broken. You know, uh, we want to reach uh, murderers and child molesters and, and all these different people, you know, in between, even people with suits and ties, you know, every, wherever the broken is, we want to reach them for the Lord. So we try to stay mindful. We try to say, Lord, what, where do you want us today? What do you want us today? What people group do you want us to reach out to today? And we, it's just about having an open ear and being led by the Spirit to where to go and what to do that day. Every single day is a different opportunity to reach people for the gospel. Well, I, uh, I definitely want to thank you for coming on this evening. And, um, I, I look forward to getting some feedback, you know, from individuals and from churches that listen to it. But I, I would, I would like to ask you to, would you pray over the listeners Yes. You know, bef- before we get off and, and uh... yeah, you want me to pray now? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Yeah, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you, we praise you, we give you honor, we give you glory. Father, we thank you, God, that you woke us up this morning in our right mind, God. Father, we thank you, God, for the activity of our limbs. We thank you for every breath you breathe into our body. Father, we thank you for the blood that's pushing through our veins. But mostly what we thank you for is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, Father. Because, Lord, you said in your word, Lord, that no man can take his life, but that he laid it down so that we can have life. And so, Lord, we say thank you. Father, I pray that right now, Lord God, that you will begin to minister and touch the listeners all across the world, Lord God. Whoever's listening, Lord God, to this message and to this station, Lord God. God, I pray, Lord God, that you will begin to, to touch them, God, that you would just embrace them, God. God, I pray, Lord God, as you begin to embrace them, God, that you begin to pour yourself more and more into them, Lord God. God, I pray, God, that you fill them all with wisdom and understanding, God, that you would give them a fresh revelation today, God, of who you are, Lord God, and who they are in you, God. God, I pray, Lord God, that you would cause, Lord God, chains to be broken and curses to be destroyed, Lord God. 
God, I thank you, God, that the veil has been removed, God. God, I pray that you would give us a heart, Lord God, filled with compassion, God, that you would give them eyes to see, God. God, that when they look out into the world, Lord God, and when they're driving their cars and when they're at work, God, that they would be sensitive to the brokenness around them, God. God, I pray, Lord God, that you would, God, allow them to see the urgency, Lord God, of eternity, God. God, and that there are people that are going to die today, God, and they don't know you, God. God, it's urgent, God, that we go out there and that we preach the gospel. It's urgent, God, that we go out there, Lord God, and tell people about Jesus, Lord. It's important, Lord God, that we go out there and tell them that, God, that you have a purpose and a plan for their lives, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would equip your your listeners, you would equip your children, Lord God, you would equip your church, Lord God, God, that that they would go out, Lord God, and that they would be the hands and feet of Christ, God. God, I pray, Lord God, that you would cause uh, their hearts to be a consuming fire, God. I pray, God, that you would put a fire in their spirit, God. God, they would want to be out there being busy about the gospel, Lord God. Father, I pray, Lord God, that we would take time, God, to, to, to sit in your presence, Lord God, to be embraced and to be in your love, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord God, that each person that's listening, Lord God, would have a true encounter with you, God. God, and I pray, Lord God, that as they encounter you, God, that you will begin to pour more and more and more of yourself into them, Lord God, all of us, Lord. Father, we thank you, God. We praise you, God. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And, you know, as I, as I said at the beginning, you know, he told me he has been set free, and I believe your testimony is going to set many more free. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I just want to thank you for coming on tonight, and I want to thank you for opening up and sharing. You know, a, a lot of people would not come out and share their testimony like this, and you know, like you said, everywhere you go, these people are, are opening up and, and getting set free. So Amen. praise God, and, and, and I, I just want to say, Brother Eli, we, we appreciate you. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, that's a wrap for tonight, and until next time, thank you. Mm-hmm.